We're so glad that you're here. Uh, just a couple of things. One is, is, uh, is this, is that we mention this occasionally, and that's uh, just to kind of help keep things relatively calm in here, and that is like, if you can at all uh, try to remain seated during the sermon, that would be so awesome. It would be so helpful. If you've got kids and they start to stir or make any noise, just uh, no one's going to uh, point you out or anything like that. You can just quickly move to the back doors there, and that we have a cry room here, and there's other areas out here to watch the service on, on camera. That's why we have those things available. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just try to remain seated during the sermon when worship uh, or uh, the music begins again. That'd be an awesome time to, to get up and move around. It's just, it's easy to get distracted in this setting. So um, I'm so glad that you're here this morning and I, I'm so glad that you, that you showed up. Hey, kind of have a double whammy. Uh, first of all, it's daylight savings. Secondly, it's an incredible day in Oregon. So we know who all the Christians are now, don't we? All right? Yeah. So I'm so glad that you showed up, and that's, that's fabulous. Um, we just had our membership meeting, uh, our first members meeting uh, that we've ever had as a church um, happened uh, just this last Sunday. It was really awesome uh, to be able to uh, connect to, with each other. Uh, to know who, who the core of Outward Church is. And, um, and so a couple things. One, if you're like, you've kind of been on the fence uh, in regards to membership, I want to encourage you towards that as we offer additional membership classes and things like that. But then I also want to invite you to, to just be a part of what God is doing in and through that. And so um, we uh, talked about vision. We talked about where we believe God is leading us. We talked about finances um, we talked about, uh, you know, where, where we're at as a church, and it was incredibly exciting uh, to be a part of that, just especially as the, the lead pastor here. And so I'm, I'm so excited about what happened there, and I'm excited for the future. Some of you have gone to a membership class, but you haven't filled out, filled out the application yet. Maybe you have some type of reservation or, or something along those lines, and we just want to encourage you to uh, come and talk to us about that if you're like, I, I just don't know that I agree with this aspect or that aspect, and, and that's okay. I mean, we would love the conversation with you, and so um, you can catch up with one of us, you know, on Sunday morning who are staff. Um, uh, my, myself, Ryan, who's leading worship here this morning, is a great guy to, to speak with as well. Um, you can uh, hear more about what, what or we, we'd love to hear from you, I should say. Um, and then finally, like if you've taken a membership class, you filled out the application, and um, you, we're, the elders are uh, beginning to set up times to, to meet with you, to do a, a quick interview, um, especially if, we're, if we don't know you super well. We'd love to just know that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you've been baptized, and uh, that you're on board with where we're at as a church. And so we'd love um, for those to take place. So we'll be trying to get in touch with you in the next few days if you haven't already been contacted. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15, so you can turn there. We've been talking about uh, Abram, who will in the future become Abraham. And uh, we've been talking about his, his life. This is what we do here at Outward Church is we walk through uh, sections of Scripture, and we explain that Scripture as we go. And so right now we're talking about this guy, uh, Abraham, who's essentially kind of the father of our faith. Um, as he uh, hears from God and, and as he uh, walks in faith and things like that. This last week we talked about how uh, Abraham, or Abram at the time I should say, um, was, uh, went and saved Lot, his nephew whose name is Lot. He went and saved him uh, 
um, from uh, complete destruction, ended up getting his possessions back. And then uh, at the end of that, what we saw was that we had this, this king, Melchizedek, and then we had this other uh, king uh, from the king of Sodom come out. Both of them come out. And uh, Abraham, or Abram, is given a choice. Do I go God's way or do I go towards the way uh, of Sodom? Do I take the spoils of this war uh, for myself? Do I get everything I can get right now? Or do I go God's way and say, you know what? Uh, no one else is going to get credit for making me rich. It's going to be God's way or it's no way. And so what, that is what he ends up saying, is that he says, I, I, I have you know, lifted my hand to, to the Lord Most High that I am not going to take a, a thread or a sandal strap from you, sir, king of Sodom. And as a result, it, it's a pretty amazing thing because here is a guy who's expressing loyalty to Yahweh. He's expressing in his daily life, in his actions, even in the midst of great success, He's expressing what it looks like to walk with God. And so what we really got from that is just that how, how difficult it is for us to continue to walk with God even when we are successful. It's easy to kind of uh, give money to God um, like through tithing or something like that when you're, when you're hard up. When there's things that are not going well in your life, it's difficult to give towards God as that paycheck grows and 10% becomes a lot bigger chunk uh, than it was when we were a college student or something like that. And so it gets more difficult as success comes and we can find ourselves kind of giving in, not just through the way that we give, but through the way that we uh, withhold our time from our, our families through the work that we take on or things of that nature. As success comes, it becomes much easier to say my reward is not in God. It is in the things that I get right here and right now in this life. And so what we see is that Abraham is expressing loyalty to his God. And let's read chapter 15 uh, right now. It says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. I think I'm just going to keep stopping here. I don't want to read through the whole thing right now. He says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward is going to be really great. And that comes right after, if you look at the verses just prior to this in chapter 14, you kind of forget that this is all one thing. It's not, it's not really divided up by chapter numbers. That came after the inspiration of Scripture. So chapter 14 really does <coughs> relate, to, <coughs> relate to this. When he says, like I just said, uh, verse 24 of chapter 14, I'll take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Abram says, I'm not taking anything from you. God turns around and says this, a word from the Lord comes to Abram in a vision. So he has this vision of, of God speaking to him in some way. And God's word to him is basically, hey, guess what? I'm your shield. I'm your reward. It's kind of, it's a confirmation of what Abram has already said. And God just affirms to him, affirms to him that, man, I, yes, I am the one that protected you there. I am the one that gave you the victory there. I am the one who is your reward. There's this author, I think it was Francis Chan, 
some time ago. Some of you have heard who he is. But he's, he asked this question one time, I can't remember where. He says, what do you get for following Jesus? What do you get? And his answer is very simple. You get Jesus. Like the, the reward for following Jesus is Jesus. And in Abram's life, the reward for saying, okay, I'm not taking anything. Like God's going to get the glory for my life and for the things that I'm doing. God's going to get that. God comes back and he says, that's exactly right, dude. That's exactly right. Heck yeah. How cool is it that God just affirms something to him? You got this right. You, you hit the nail on the head. So that's a, a really cool aspect of what's, what's being said here. It says, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? If you remember, God had promised Abram that he's going to make him into a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to give you this land. And, but, but Abram says, okay, God, like, I've, I, I've, done, I've done some things here. Um, I, I, I've been walking in your promises. And he says, oh, Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? I heard the promise. I heard your promise, God. And I'm still waiting. And I'm still waiting. Isn't that the case with all of us all the time? And if you're really walking with Jesus... The promises of God do not come to us in the timing that we are hoping that they come to us in. It's never in the timing that I want it to be. It's always delayed. It's always later than I was hoping for. It's always different than, than I thought it was going to be. But this is the Christian life. It is always delayed gratification. A, a friend of mine was just talking uh, just the other day, saying how he had made too much money this last year, which is a really great problem to have, right? Uh, I, don't, I don't know what that's like, but, uh, but he had made too much money, and so he, he had done something called deferred compensation with it. So he could somehow uh, keep his money in, uh, with his, the, the company that he works for, and they will just hang on to that until he's ready to get paid that. So he's not taxed on that until, I guess, he takes it. And in a sense, in the Christian life, what we're always doing is we're doing deferred compensation. Do I want my reward right here and right now from the king of Sodom, or do I want my reward later? Is it now or is it later? Do I, when do I want that? Do I want as my reward my fulfillment as I define it? Or do I want as my reward uh, God's fulfillment as he defines it, my creator? When, when do I want to have this? And so Abram has believed God. He, he, I believe you, but I am still childless, and you promised me a child. Where is this at? And the heir of my house is Eliezer, Eliezer of uh, Damascus. It sounds a little bit like, it, it, it'd be a little bit like, the only guy that's going to get all my stuff is Bob from Woodburn. And we know all about that, you know, Woodburn place, whatever. See, I switched from Sio, so sorry about that. But uh, my apologies if your name is Bob and you're from Woodburn this morning. But uh, so anyway, so Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring. You haven't given me a child. And a member of my household will be my heir. There's no one else in my line. It's going to end up being this guy. 
Somehow he's related to him or he's in his house or something. And it says this in verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. I mean, isn't that just kind of a silly thing for God to say? Like, hey, hey, Abram, walk outside with me for a second. Look up there. Can you count all those things? Can you count, get, try, count them real quick for me? Try, try to count that. And, and, and God is like showing Abram something. He's saying, I want you to look up there. You know how ridiculous it is for me to say, hey, you should number all the stars? He says, uh, so shall your offspring be. Abram, I'm going to make you so fruitful. I'm going to make it so amazing. Like you're not even going to be able to, to, to count all of the offspring that I bring in and through you. You're not even going to be able to, to count them. It's going to be so amazing. Like, this is such an outlandish promise that God makes. Because Sarai, his wife, is barren. They haven't had kids. They're struggling with fertility. Or I should say infertility. They're struggling with infertility. And God makes this crazy promise, and he says, look out there. Now, I want you to think about for a second how impossible this seems. How impossible it seems that he's going to have this amazing family, this huge family that you can't even count. I want you to think about, like, like how would that even take place? How would that even, what would that even look like kind of a deal? And here's the thing about that, though, is that the promises of God, God's word to us, is often completely beyond our means. It's even beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our comprehension. It's, it's beyond our means. We have no idea how that will take place. But God comes to us and he says, I want you to know that my, I will fulfill my promises to you. I will fulfill them. Your true joy does not have to be in you getting your reward right here and right now. Your true joy does not need to be in that. Because that will be isolated and limited in time. But if you wait for the reward that God has for you, that I have for you, God is speaking to us. It's eternal. It's, it's everlasting. It's never ending. But we don't see it that way. And so what do we do? I, I want the reward right here and right now, so I'll sacrifice many things in my life, even good things that, that God says that I, I, I shouldn't sacrifice, such as uh, my family. I sacrifice my family by either working too much or being too focused on whatever it is that I'm too focused on social media, what have you. I'll sacrifice uh, my purity by getting my reward right here and right now that, through pornography or sex before marriage or uh, sexual relationships that should not be. I'll sacrifice anything in order to get my reward right here and right now. See, God is, is the purveyor. He is the provider of all things that are good. He is the creator of sex. He is the creator 
of, of money. He's the creator of power. He is the creator of all of these good things. But whenever we step outside of God's will and we say, I want my reward independent of how God would have me have that, that's when we're taking our reward early. And, and God really isn't our shield. He really is not our reward. We don't want God more than the things that we are after. We want those things, and then we want a little bit of God sometimes. How often is this happening in our local churches? I'm sure it's happening in this church. On some level, all of us are incredibly faulty. We say we want our reward right here and right now. And then somehow we as a church are okay with that type of behavior. I want, I want my reward, and so I'm going to have a little bit of church, and I'm going to have my reward right now. So I act however I want. I do, I do whatever I want. I pay no attention to what it looks like to live as, as a moral human being in this life. And I, I take what I can get right now. My reward isn't actually in God. My reward is in the things that I get, the things that I'm after. And God says, I want you to list to hear a promise. Which, by the way, Abram, you're never going to see the, the full fulfillment of this promise in this life. Abram, you're never going to fully experience it right here and right now. It's never going to be it. And when we understand that, that my faithfulness to God may mean that I reject this relationship and I am lonely for a lifetime in the world's eyes. It, it may mean that I will never have the kind of financial success that I was hoping for. It, it may mean that when I believe God, when I believe His promise, it may mean that I, I never accomplish the things that I set out to do. It will most likely mean that it'll be a rejection of self. It'll be a rejection of what I deeply desire. Graduation will be here soon, and the most asinine and ridiculous speeches will be given. As people stand up and say, go after your dreams. Do whatever you want. Don't let anybody tell you no. And by that they mean don't let God tell you no. Don't let the scriptures tell you no. Don't let, don't let your family tell you no. You go and do whatever you want to do. While everybody uh, laments what's happening in our world today, as each person does whatever they want to do, ending in a, a, a society that's being torn apart by the ridiculousness of these two political parties and everything else that goes along with that. Our world is tearing it apart because it believes that my reward is now and that I should take it. And, I, and, and no one should keep me from that. And, and nice people with big degrees 
and fantastic success will tell you this, and it's foolishness. It's complete foolishness. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be, Abram. It's crazy. It is crazy that he would believe this. But look at verse 6. And he believed the, the Lord, and he, that is God, counted it to him as righteousness. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now that is kind of a crazy statement. It's a big statement. It's a massive statement. Here's why. The Apostle Paul has built his theology. What he writes in uh, the New Testament, in Romans and Galatians especially, and really probably every book that he, he wrote, it is based on this verse right here, verse 6. Verse 6 is the resounding hallmark of what it looks like to have faith. It is what, what it means to have faith. It means that on the bare word of God, God, God says something, and I don't have to have anything other than the fact that God has said it. I don't have to have anything other than the fact that God said this, and I believe him. And what does it say that he got out of that? It says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, what, what you have to ask yourself is, okay, how bad do I want righteousness, you know? How bad do I want, want to be righteous in the, in the sight of God? How bad do I want relationship with God? See, what happened there is that he believes the bare word of God, and what does he do? He believes what God tells him. So here's our problem, is that I hear people say often, I've always believed in God. The key word there is in. I've always believed in God. Or they'll say, as of right now, I believe in God. Like, I believe in God. Like, I believe that he exists. Yeah, there might even be a little bit of affirmation. I like this community. You guys are fairly moral. Uh, most of you are not weird Christians. Uh, like, I, this is, that you guys do nice things in the community. I like, I like that kind of stuff. I believe in God along with you. But we're not talking about believing in God. We're not talking about believing in God. What did Abram do? Abram didn't just believe in God. Abram believed God. He believed God. So one step is, yeah, do I believe that God exists? But that is not the definition of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Just to acknowledge the existence of God. I think it's obvious from creation and childbirth and all kinds of things. Sunrises and sunsets and, and all kinds of things show the existence of God. Okay, you got there. But here's the question. It's not just have you believed in God, but have you believed God? What is there to believe about God? 
Well, it is to believe his promises. And specifically, one promise. One promise. Abram is the forefather of our faith, and it is in and through this that he shows us what it is that we should be trusting about God. It's, it's what, what the Apostle Paul builds his theology on. He shows us what it is that we should believe about God. What Abram did is he heard crazy things. He heard insane things, and he says, okay, I believe him. And it was that fast that God says, okay, here's the deal. You get righteousness. When you rely on, when you trust God, you get righteousness. Now, why would we talk about righteousness? I'm, I am going to go to Romans chapter 4, actually uh, chapter 3, and I'll probably spend the rest of my time here. And, uh, and I'm not going to finish the rest of that because I feel like this, is, this would be more important to us right now. Romans chapter 3 is really showing us what the gospel is. At Outward Church, what we say a lot is that we are gospel-centered. We're centered on the gospel. Like, it's the core, it's the core of who we are. It's what we believe. And so the Apostle Paul is believing, is... Uh, is, is uh, uh, laying out a case for what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And so he's been talking about how we need salvation. And then Romans chapter 3, verse 10, he kind of ramps it up a little bit, and he says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Okay, there's nobody who does, you know, we all kind of screw up a little bit, something like that. Paul says, no, wait, hang on a second. There's a little bit more I have to tell you. There's no one righteous. There's no not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. There's nobody who hasn't turned aside from God. There's nobody who hasn't said, okay, uh, God, thank you very much. I realize you're the creator, but, like, I'm going to go do my own thing. There's nobody who hasn't said, Okay, you're cool, God. I'm glad you created things, but I know how to run my life. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Okay, I kind of see what you're saying. No, no, no. You don't see what I'm saying, Paul says. Their throat is an open grave. Holy cow, Paul. I get it. I've, got, I've made some mistakes I, I, I have some inconsistencies, I'm, I, uh, some, some, uh, some stuff that I need to take care of. He says, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and ministry. <laughs> Let us pray. All right. <laughs> Wowzers. Sadly, that's true sometimes. So, what did I say? I said, they're, they're, I got excited. <laughs> and their paths are ruin and ministry. Wowzers. Man, that's true, though. Stop for a second and think about it. Like, uh, I just watched a documentary on, or it's a 2020 thing on, on Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. 
and like you get into the inner workings, if you know who they are, if you're like over the age of 30, or you might know who they are, but, but he's a TV preacher. And you get into the inner workings of what they were doing is that they were just getting money and money and money and money. And they were building and they were lying about what they were building and they were lying about how much space that they had and there was affairs and there were all kinds of things that were going on. Like <laughs> there, is, there is ruin in the ministry. So when we say there's no one righteous, there's no not one, I, I shouldn't be up here, I should be down here with you. Like this, there, I, I'm not talking to you, I'm saying, I'm saying me, I'm saying we. There's no one who's righteous, there's not even one. If you're looking to me, or you're looking to a TV preacher, or you're looking to somebody who you listen to on podcast or whatever, you are in trouble if you think that this is one who is righteous. Like this, this is somebody who's got it together because I got to tell you that when that happens, oftentimes God is so gracious in saying, nope, let's reveal that guy's sin. And then we can affirm again, there really is no one righteous. There's no one who seeks for God. And the way of peace they have not known, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Ah. <sighs> then there's no one righteous. So you got to ask the question, okay, what is, what is the remedy for this lack of righteousness in all of humanity, including the preachers? What's the remedy for that? He says in verse 20, chapter 3, verse 20 of Romans, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We're going to come back to Abram in a minute here and what he, and what he said. What it says is this, is that there's, there's the law that's in the scriptures. There's, there is the law that we all know that we should not be violating, like the Ten Commandments. But he says this, by works of the law, by keeping the Ten Commandments, by doing what's right, no one, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. See, God didn't provide the law so that you and I could be like, all right, let's do this. I'm, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to become a perfect person. And how many of us in this room came to Jesus or came to the church thinking, you know what, I just need to clean myself up so that God will like me, and I think the church people will rub off on me because then if I'm with them, then I, you know, I won't be whatever it is anymore. And then I'll start doing that. And all too frequently, we can just show you another kind of, of complete wickedness, a wickedness that's hidden. There's a scripture that says some, some people's sins go before them and some people's sins follow behind them. I mean, some people's sins are really obvious and other people's sins are just really hidden really well. And guess what? There's nobody in this room probably that isn't really good at hiding sin. And what this says is this, is that the law only shows us where we're messed up. The law shows us how bad it actually is. It doesn't save us. By keeping the law, it doesn't save us because no one can keep 
the law perfectly. Look at verse 21 of chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest, uh, manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Hey, hang on a second. He's, he's saying there's something new. Although it's been around forever, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament refers to this. It's always been available, but now it's really clear what is available here. And what is it? That a righteousness of God, that, that means, remember what I said. Remember what chapter 3, verse 10 said. It said there's no one righteous. There's not even one. There's no one who seeks after God. There's no one who does what is good. And so he says, the problem is this, is that our imperfections keep us from connection with the perfect God. The problem is, is that even when I have the law, I don't do what is right. The problem is, is that I can't get with God in the place that I'm at right now. That's a major problem. And he says, listen, here's the good news, and the good news is this, that you can have righteousness that is not connected with what the law says. You can have a righteousness, an alien righteousness, one that does not belong to you, that comes to you. So someone can come up and give you this righteousness. They can hand it to you and they can make it your own. They can count it to you as your own. That's a pretty incredible deal. That's pretty crazy. He says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no, there is no distinction. Many of you know this verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Everyone has sinned. There's no one who's righteous. But we're justified by God as a gift of grace. So skip down to chapter 4 of Romans. Chapter 4 of Romans says this, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? What did Abraham do that was good? What was, what was his action? What was his work? What were the works that he did that afforded him the righteousness that God gave him that was not his own? What did Abraham do in order to receive that? For if Abraham was justified by what he did, by, what, by his works, by good works, by doing nice things, by being nice to people, by going to church occasionally, for if Abraham was justified by any of those things, he has something to boast about, but not before God. The Apostle Paul says, if Abraham got the righteousness of God, because we know that Abraham is not righteous, but if Abraham got the righteousness of God because of the things that he has done, then he has something to boast about. He has something to be able to say, oh yeah, I got this figured out. Oh yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Now think about how Christians are viewed in our society today. Think about how we present ourselves at times. 
the condemning uh, conversations uh, that we can have. Now, there are things that we would disagree with, and we would say, uh, you need to be reconciled with God. There's no one righteous. There's not even one. They say, you're condemning me, and I say, oh, I just, I'm telling you the scriptures. I just wanna, I want you to know the truth. But generally speaking, sometimes there's a lot of Christians in our society that are misrepresenting who God is. They're misrepresenting who he is. But what this says is this, is that if Abraham was justified by works, then he can act like that. He can be that guy on the TV that says God hates fags. If Abraham was justified by works, then he can say, all of y'all are going to hell. Going to hell in a handbasket. If you don't turn your life around, then all of this is going to happen. It's going to be, going to be awful. That's, Abraham can do that if he was justified in that way. The problem is he was not. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed what God had said. He did not just say, okay, I believe that God exists and now I'm going to start doing good things. No, Abraham believed God. He believed what God said. And it was in that that God reckons to him. He imputes. Impute is a kind of a fancy way of saying input. He inputs. He hands to you. He delegates to you. He, he gives to you. He counted to him as righteousness. And then it says... Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. If you think that what you're doing for God makes you savable, then you're not getting a gift. God owes you. But guess what? God is not going to be put in your debt. God will not be put in your debt. God is the creator. God is the one who stands in authority over you and I. God is the one who determines what will happen and what will not happen. He will not be in your debt. He will not be in my debt. He's not going to owe you anything. Why? Because then you get the glory for your salvation and for your righteousness. And God says, I will not give my glory to another. See, one of the fantastic things that you see about God is that God does everything, even the things that we disagree with. Like, why is there evil in the world? Why does God allow these things to, to happen? And in the end, what it finally comes down to is that, like, ultimately, I can't answer that question except to say that God does it for his own glory. And you say, that's sick that he, would, that he would allow evil in this world and that he would do, create this thing knowing that these things would take place. And all I can say is this, is that God does that for his own glory. And the question is this, do you believe him? Not just do you believe in him, but do you believe him? Do you believe what he says about you and about your sin? Do you believe what he says about where you are currently, right now? Do you even care what God says about where you are? Are you a disciple in Jesus Christ? 
Is that something that bothers you where you say, am I growing as somebody who loves Jesus? What we said recently at the recent members meeting was this, is that we have just streamlined everything that we're doing here as a church to, to say one thing. Because this is what Jesus said right before he ascends to heaven. He says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And right before that, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's basically saying, you better listen up. You better hear what I'm, I'm, I'm about to say, because what I'm, what I'm about to say is the thing that I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And so we as a church, we say, at Outward Church, we exist to make disciples who love Jesus and live outward. And then what we did from that is that we said, what does it mean to love Jesus? Well, that's the inner life. That's who we are. What does it mean uh, to live outward? That's the outer life. That's how we act. That's what we do. The who we are piece is we're committed to the story of Jesus. We're committed to the people of Jesus. We're committed to the rule of Jesus. And why would we use those three things? Why would we say we want to be committed to the story of Jesus? We want to be committed to the story of Jesus because it is where we find life. It's where we find the truth about who we are and what Jesus has done for us. It's called the gospel. We want to be about the people of Jesus. That means that, the, that God's people are marking my life. Like you make an impact on me. Like I have friendships here. People know me. I know other people. We're connected. I serve them. They serve me. We serve Jesus together. We go out into our community and we serve our community. And then the rule of Jesus. Am I living under the rule and the reign of of Jesus Christ. The question is this, do, do I just believe in God or do I believe God? Because people who believe God, who trust Him, are people who say, I not only need a Savior, but I need a King that rules me. And that King rules and reigns over my life. I live in submission to him. I submit to this God. I submit to him. And this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm, yes, I, I know his story. I know his people. But I'm living under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. Why am I obeying Jesus? Because I believe that he has the words of life. Because what he tells me is that my real salvation, my righteousness is not found in the sex that I experience, but in the God that I serve. My real salvation is not found in the amount of money that I have, but it is in, it is in the God that I serve. My righteousness does not come from, my goodness does not come from the approval of other people in my life. My goodness, my righteousness comes from the approval of my God. So you have to ask yourself, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ who does not simply believe in God, but you believe God? You believe what he has to say. It says this in verse 5 of chapter 4 of Romans, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, 
Read that again. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, to the one who isn't saying, I've got to work for my salvation. I've got to do some more good so that God will like me. I've got to do some more good so that I can be accepted, so that I can be righteous. To that person, to the person who says, I realize that there's no way that I could get to God on my own. See, the people that think that they can get to God on their own are the, the, the people who are very much alienated from God. The people who know that they don't have what it takes are the people who are getting close to God. The people who know who they, that they're messed up. He says, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. You, what, what am I believing God for? I'm trusting in him and saying, I am the ungodly. I am the person who is constantly looking for my reward in money, sex, and power. Who's constantly looking for my reward in the things that are around me. Who's constantly looking for my reward in anything but God. And I see how ungodly I am. I see how much I need this God. To that person who believes in him, who has the ability to justify, to declare righteous, his faith is counted as righteousness. To the person who says, I'm ungodly, and I may be a minister, I may be a TV preacher, I may be a school teacher, I may just be somebody in the church, but the truth is, is that on my own, I am ungodly and I am alienated from God and I cannot get to him on my own. To that person, they are justified when they believe that God is the only one who can justify them and count to them, give to them, impute to them his righteousness. Why is this passage so incredibly important? It's for one thing. And that is that we so often say, I believe in God, but we're not believing God. We have not believed his promises. Abram shows us the model of faith. God gives him an outlandish promise. I mean, I'm going to multiply your descendants. You're not even going to, it's going to be crazy, but it's not going to be now. It's not going to be here. And how hard would that have been to say, to say, okay, okay, I believe you, God. I, I trust you. So the life that, the life that, believes God walks differently because the steps of the steps that they're taking in life are guided by God because their their faith is constantly working itself out in their life it's not that good works aren't a part of our faith it's that they don't come before our faith it is the righteous walking that comes out of a life that says, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. 
you, you, wanna, you have an area of sin that you need to, to resolve, what it has to come down to is it has to say, God, would you show me why I'm not putting faith in you and why I'm actually putting faith in this thing, into my anger? Would you show me why I believe that I'm God in my home? And so when I get angry, I'm actually, I actually think that I'm God. Would you help me make you the true and the living God in my life so that I can walk in faith with you, God? So that I can believe you, that you are the true and the living God. When I'm constantly so incredibly lonely and self-conscious and, I, and I'm constantly thinking about myself and what do people think about me and, and how are they going to look at this and how am I going to look at that? Ultimately, what I'm saying is I'm saying that everybody around me is God. And instead of believing that Yahweh is God, I am believing that the people around me are God, that they are the ones that should be worshipped that they are the ones that I should go after. And so I'm constantly working to please them, and I'm doing acts of worship for people. And instead of believing, just uh, believing God, all I do is I believe in God, and I don't believe who he is. I believe, I actually believe. See, there's what you say that you believe, and then there's what you actually believe in practice. So what do you actually believe and practice? That's where you have to start. Because Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what do you believe? Can, can God save you? He says that he can. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? He's given you the faith to believe it if you, if you have. Let's, uh, let's pray. So, Lord Jesus, I'm asking that, that we would take the sin. Lord, that we'd emphasize what it means to believe you. Lord God, in the areas of our life where we don't believe you, would you show us where we're off? Lord, may we act like disciples and say, you know what, I really, I really need to bring this area of my life in line with the faith that I claim to possess. So, Lord, I pray that we'd experience your grace and your mercy in that. We know that you're not angry with us. We know that you're not tired of us. So, Lord, may we have hope that you want our best. And, Lord, may we look to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, for those that have never placed their faith in you or are realizing this morning that they've constantly believed that it is what they did that made them righteous before God, Lord, I pray that they'd receive your grace by faith. And Lord, that you would count that trust in you 
as righteousness in our, in our favor. So Lord, we ask you for this in your son's great name. Amen.